We are going to look at Zechariah chapter 10, and if I had to title this chapter, it would be The Lord Our Shepherd. God wants to be the shepherd of His people. And in fact, in the next couple chapters that we're going to look at in the book of Zechariah, being a shepherd and the whole concept of shepherding is going to be front and center to what we're going to be talking about. In Zechariah chapter 10, Zechariah is trying to help us to to understand the worthiness of God to be trusted in as the Lord our shepherd in two ways. First of all, in the first uh, three verses by way of contrast, and then in the rest of the chapter by way of his care by way of contrast, and then by way of His care. You'll notice here that Zechariah says, first of all, ask of the Lord. The very first three words there. Ask of the Lord for rain in the season of the late spring rains. The Lord who causes thunderstorms, and He will give everyone showers of rain and green growth in the field. For the household gods have spoken wickedness. The soothsayers have seen a lie. And as for the dreamers, they have disclosed emptiness and give comfort in vain. Therefore the people set out like sheep and become scattered because they have no shepherd. I am enraged at the shepherd's and will punish the lead goats. Now, a couple of things here. First of all, let's start with actually verse 3. God is saying, ultimately, I want to be the shepherd of my people. But I understand that my people also want, in a sense, other leaders in their life. A lot of times, just like in the Old Testament, they weren't satisfied with just having God as their king. Remember, they wanted a king like all the other nations, and so they asked for one, and God gave them Saul. (laughs) And we know how that turned out. And throughout the history of Israel, in fact, there were way more bad political leaders and bad spiritual leaders in the nation of Israel than there were good. And the people suffered because of it. Not that the people in general were absolved of their responsibility because most of the time they didn't want God as their shepherd either and they were satisfied to have others sort of lead and shepherd them. But they paid the consequences for it. And God is saying in verse 3, I'm upset, I'm angry with the shepherds and the leaders politically and spiritually of my people because they're not doing their job. They're poor leaders. And they're leading in a bad way that does no benefit to my people. And and especially for the spiritual leaders, they're leading people away from me as their shepherd rather than towards me. Now, the other thing that we see in the first three verses, again, that Zechariah is trying to help us with, is to come to a place where we see that the Lord is worthy to be trusted in Because if you contrast the Lord with anyone or anything else that we would trust in or allow to lead us, they're going to come up quite short compared to the Lord. 
And we see that especially in the nation of Israel when it came to their sort of uh, history of idolatry. So you'll notice in verse 2, through the prophet Zechariah, he says, for these household gods, literally in the Hebrew Bible, it's the word teraphim. They were household gods in humanoid form. Okay? They, They looked human, but they were little idols. And even the people of God began to, you know, delve into idolatry. And, and, and God even says, look, you, you realize that these are not just innocent little idols, even though they're made of, of maybe wood or bronze or something else, that there's a spirit behind all idols. That's why God says through the prophet Zechariah, these household gods actually speak wickedness. See, people today who, who delve into to the occult and, and witchcraft and, and, you know, the whole nine yards, astrology and tarot cards and all that, if they think that that's innocent, it's not. There's a spirit behind that. And God is saying, oh, they'll speak to you all right. They'll lead you all right, but they're not going to speak good things. They're going to speak wickedness. Notice the soothsayers have seen a lie. And as for the dreamers, all they do is disclose emptiness and give comfort in vain. In other words, God is saying, they can't help you at all. Which is why God, through again the prophet Zechariah in verse 1, and we'll come back to this at the end, calls upon his people to ask the Lord for the rain that you need. You know, learn to trust and depend and be prayerful for, and look to God to provide for you. Because it's God who controls the weather. Especially when you're talking here about the specific request that they're making in verse 1. He's the one, Zechariah says, that causes the thunderstorm. Why are you going to anything or anyone else that cannot help you or that's going to lead you down the right, wrong path? Go to the Lord. He wants to be your shepherd. And he's the one that's competent enough to make something happen. He will give everyone showers of rain and green growth in the field. In fact, he asked them to pray in the season of the late spring rains. There were two rainy seasons in in Israel. There was the fall rains, which were the, the planting season, actually, where they would till the ground and actually be able to get the stuff into the ground and have the rain get started. But the latter spring rains were actually the most significant, the, the most even more than the planting rains, because these were the rains that then took whatever was growing and literally brought it to maturity and caused it to grow. That's why you'll even see in the Bible that the latter rains or the spring rains are even equated to not just physical blessings from God, but spiritual. And I think he's even saying the same thing here. Ask God for physical and spiritual things because he's the God of it all. And why are you turning to idols that can't help you at all? In fact, notice what he says is the result. Therefore, the people, at the end of verse 2, set out. The word means to wander. They wander like sheep, and they scatter because they have no shepherd. I mean, they might think they have a shepherd in these idols and all the other things, but God says, anything or anyone else that you trust in other than me is not going to be a shepherd to you like I can be. 
First of all, especially in this context, they can't help you. You can pray to them. You can pray to all those trinkets and, you know, all those stones and all those amulets and all that kind of stuff, but it's not going to help you. It, It might, if anything, put you in touch with the demonic spiritual world, but they're not going to give you any comfort. They're not going to be able to change anything. Ask the Lord. The Lord can bring about things. And and the Lord is competent enough and worthy enough to be trusted in. And so Zechariah, first of all, is saying to his people, let the Lord be your shepherd. He's always wanted to be the shepherd of his people. He always wanted to be close. You know, unlike in other places in the world where the shepherd was behind the sheep driving them in the Israel, in that area of the world, the shepherd always is in front of his sheep leading them. Again, not driving them. He won't force us to go anywhere that we don't want to go with him, but he wants us to learn to follow him and to trust him because he is a good shepherd. Jesus said, John 10, I'm the good shepherd. Psalm 23, you know, talks about the goodness of, of the Lord, our shepherd. And in contrast to everything and anything else, Zechariah is saying, why would you not trust in the Lord as your shepherd? Nothing else can help you like he can. No one else can do what God can do. And when God did have these other leaders in Israel, again, instead of leading from a good place and leading the people towards him, And doing right by the people. They were always out for themselves. And they were always leading people away from God rather than to Him. That's the first three verses. But then in the middle of verse 3, through the rest of the passage, this is my favorite part even more, because it then just sort of piles on Zechariah about the fact that He wants us to see that God is worthy to be trusted in as the Lord our shepherd, not only by way of contrast, but by way of his care. God so richly cares for his people. And specifically, this is talking obviously about the people of Israel. But you and I could take these same principles and apply them to our own lives as believers in Jesus Christ. He does the same thing for us as our shepherd today that he wanted to do and desired to do for the people many, many thousands of years ago. So I hope you'll make this very personal. Just as Nicole encouraged us to sing about how he loves me, I hope you'll take each of these and certainly apply these. This is how God wants to relate to you as your shepherd. First of all, notice in the middle of verse 3, For the Lord who rules over all has brought blessing to his flock. The words brought blessing means he's attended to the needs of his flock. Again, he's a good shepherd. He's going to make sure that his flock is protected and that they're provided for. He will attend to the needs of his flock. And my goodness, the plans that God has, they cannot be thwarted by the bad leaders and bad shepherds. God will make sure that his plan for his people is carried out, even like there if he has to do it himself, like we talked about last week. 
And here's the cool thing that Zechariah is getting to, ready to reveal to us and inform us about. Is that God cares about us so much, and, and He's not just satisfied with bringing us into a relationship with, with Him and to know Him. He wants to grow us. He wants to build us up. He wants to mature us. Why? Because He's got a plan for us corporately, and He's got a plan for each of us individually. And part of that plan is He wants us to learn to be a conqueror. We started to talk about that last week. God sees His people as conquerors and crowns, and He sees us that way because eventually His plan is for us to rule and reign with Jesus. And that's exactly what we see here. Notice. As God attends to the needs of his flock, what it goes on to say, the house of Judah, and he will transform them into his majestic war horse. Notice, God's people will be transformed from sheep to stallions. That's what Zechariah is saying. And God's the only one that can transform. We can try to reform ourselves. But only God can transform. Only He can make something there that never was there before. And maybe even some days you feel like I do, like, God, what, what can you ever do with me? Here, you know, who, who am I? What am I? What do you got to work with? And then I remember the creation story where God reminds us, I created the universe that is still so big that your modern day telescopes can't see the end of it. I created it all out of what? Nothing. I brought it all out of nothing. And then you even think about how he created us. You realize that we are simply elements of the dust of the ground, but God breathed his breath into us and we became living souls. Pretty impressive. Pretty impressive what God can do. And so let's trust the Lord our shepherd that He will attend to our needs because He's a good shepherd in contrast to anything or anyone else, and He can transform things. He can turn sheep into stallions, and He wants to make His people a majestic warhorse because we saw last week, He wants to use us in this battle so that we can be part of the victory. How is God primarily going to change things for His people? By giving them a better leader. Remember, God said at the end of, or in verse 3, I'm enraged at the shepherds and will punish the lead ghost because the political and spiritual leaders of Israel were very poor leaders. And we're going to talk more about that next week in chapter 11. But God says, I've got a remedy. I'm going to send the best leader. And so notice in verse 4 of Zechariah 10, Zechariah says, from him, from God, will come the cornerstone, the wall peg, the battle bow, and every ruler. Who's he talking about there? Jesus Christ. And notice he describes Jesus in three ways here. And these three terms are very important because they deal, again, with the care and competency of the Lord our shepherd. First of all, he's called the cornerstone. Jesus Christ, our cornerstone. Why? Because it's, it's the stone that every other stone gets its line from, if you will, but also it speaks about foundation. A strong foundation. In fact, Paul said to the Corinthians, there is no other foundation other than Jesus Christ. 
That's the only true foundation that one can build their life on. And then he goes on to say, so be careful how you build upon that foundation. But there is only one true foundation, Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. And God wants us to understand that because if you and I want a great, solid foundation for our life to give us, you know, stability and security, then trust in Him. He's the cornerstone. And then He calls Jesus the wall peg. A very interesting description of Jesus. Why? Because it's describing that thing that even today we have in our houses where, you know, people can hang stuff on when they come into their house. And even in Jewish houses, there was these wall pegs that were attached to the, to the walls. And what it was to remind people of is, I can hang stuff there and, and it'll, it'll be secure. Again, it, it'll be firm. I can hang stuff on there and it, it's not going to fall. And God is saying to us, we can hang our, our whole life and eternity and our soul and everything on Jesus because He can hold it. He can give us stability and security. He, he can, we can nail it to Him, and we know it's secure. You see. And then He calls Jesus the battle bow, because He is the mighty warrior that is victorious in battle. The King of kings, the Lord of lords. The one who gives us the victory, because we are more than conquerors through Him. And so notice in verse 5, they... Who's they? The people of God. They will be like warriors trampling the mud of the streets in battle. You know me and my Civil War thing, so I'm thinking battle hymn of the Republic, trampling out the vintage where the grapes are red. That's the picture that you have here of the people of God trampling down the mud of the streets in battle. Notice, they will fight, but here's the cool thing. For the Lord will be literally beside them in the fight. And they will defeat the enemy cavalry. I love that line. You see, you and I need to be reminded the Lord our shepherd never will abandon his sheep. He will always be with us, even in the fights and battles of life. And he will be there right beside of us. No shepherd worth their salt ever abandons the sheep. They always make sure that the sheep are cared for. And if they have to leave the sheep for some reason, they make sure that there's another shepherd that comes in to take care of the sheep. Because a predator could come at any time and literally threaten the entire flock. So you and I need to be reminded, God is worthy to be trusted in as the Lord our shepherd. First, by way of contrast, specifically in this passage, to the idols that the people of God started to trust in rather than the Lord themselves. And second, he is worthy to be trusted in by way of his care as the Lord our shepherd. He will attend to the needs of His sheep. He will provide the leaders that we truly need. And that's one of the ways that God takes care of His people is not only by being the shepherd Himself, but by giving the people of God under shepherds, if you will, who will care for His sheep. And He wants to turn us from sheep into stallions so that we can be conquerors and so that we are willing to fight and be victorious in the battles of life, knowing that He's right there with us. If you're going through a battle right now, I want you to know something, that based upon Zechariah 10.5, God is with you, beside you, in the fight. 
then I love this. Look at verse 6. I, says the Lord, will... And I want you to notice from verse 6 all the way down through verse 12, the, the, the rest of the chapter, all that God says He will do. It has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with God. It's all God. God says, first of all, I will strengthen the kingdom of Judah. I will make them strong. Guess what? The Lord, our shepherd, wants to make us strong too. In fact, this is so important that God repeats this. Look at verse 12. Thus I will strengthen them by my power. God literally says, I will pour my power into them so that you and I do not have to live our life in our power, but live in the power of God that God pours into us. And we understand that concept, especially as New Testament Christians, and especially as we're learning about and studying about the Holy Spirit, because that's one of the main reasons why God gives us His Holy Spirit to dwell within us, so that we have the power of God through the presence of God, through the third person of the Trinity of God, living inside of us at all times. We have the power. We just need to learn to tap into the power that we have. God wants to make us strong. God wants to make you and I strong. And then he says this, I will not only strengthen them, I will deliver them, the people of Joseph. At Judah was the southern kingdom. Joseph was the northern kingdom, by the way. At this time, the kingdom was divided. The word deliver means to save or rescue. And God still does that as the shepherd. He still saves and rescues his sheep. In fact, the picture in the New Testament is of the Leaving the 99, not abandoned, a good shepherd would have always made sure those 99 were cared for while he went for the one that had left. But that's the heart of our God. He's always there to rescue us. He's always there to save us. He's always there to deliver us out of whatever situation we find ourselves in. And then I love this. He says, I will also bring them back. It means to restore us as His sheep, to revive us as His sheep. Don't you see that in Psalm 23 when it talks about how the shepherd, you know, takes the oil, that ointment, and rubs it on the sheep to make everything okay? Maybe the sheep was injured or harmed in some way. That's the care that our shepherd has. That even when we get hurt, whether it's by our own doing or someone else's doing, our shepherd is there to restore us, to mend us, to put us back together, to heal us, to revive us. He will bring us back. And because He is the Lord, there's nothing or no one He can't bring us back from. As we talked about Sunday, if He can raise Lazarus from the dead and He can bring that back, then there's nothing God can't do. We need to trust Him as our shepherd. Notice also in verse 6, God says, Oh, and I will hear them. I will answer them. I will respond to them. And, and it goes on that these words not only speak about answering, but literally supporting and helping us. It's one thing to, for instance, say, call God and say, God, I need your help. And God goes, hey, I'm, I'm listening. But then never 
goes beyond that. No, true hearing from God's perspective is not just answering the call, it's actually then going on and supporting and helping. It'd just be like us. What kind of help would we be to one another if a friend asks us for help and we're sitting there and we're talking about it, but we never do anything about it? When God says, I hear you, it's not just I'm physically hearing your cries and your call out. I mean, think of the Exodus where God told Moses when he was talking to Moses, I hear the cries of my people and now I'm raising you up so that you will go and you will be my representative before Pharaoh to bring them out of bondage. God was all about hearing to do something about it. And God will do that with us as our shepherd. Then look at verse 8. I will signal for them. I will call for them and gather them. Even Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. They know my voice and they'll follow me when I call, when I whistle, when I make a signal. And then I love this. The words gather them literally means wraps us up in his arms. I love that picture of our shepherd. Wrapping his arms around us. In fact, you see this in many images, especially in the Middle East and in ancient times, of shepherds that would not only wrap their arms around a sheep, but literally take a sheep and literally lift it up and put it on its back and carry it to where its head was to one side or the other and its legs were down both sides and it would literally carry the sheep. God says, that's what I want to do with you. There's going to be some times where I just wrap you up and I wrap my arms around you and I hold you close. And there's going to be other times where instead of, you know, us walking together, I'm just even going to pick you up and put you on my back and carry you. That's the kind of shepherd that we have. Again, all these terms are all about the God who cares about us as our shepherd. Notice he goes on to say, even in verse 8, For I have already redeemed them, and they will become as numerous as they were before. The underlying thought of the word redeemed is, is, a, is a thought of great cost and sacrifice. It literally means to stretch oneself out to someone. And God is saying, I am willing as God to stretch myself out as far as I can for you. And when you think about that, even in the imagery of the cross, wow, how powerful is that? When Jesus Christ stretched himself out on that cross for us. There's no distance too far that our shepherd will not stretch himself out for us for. Look at verse 11. The Lord will cross the sea of storms, literally of distress, and will calm its turbulence. In other words, God says, I will go before you and I will make a way for you. In fact, he goes on to say, the depths of the Nile will dry up, the pride of the Assyrians will be humbled, and the domination of Egypt will be no more. It's almost like a new exodus. It's not the Red Sea being parted, but God is giving them imagery that as, I've, as you've been scattered throughout the nations and I start to draw you back to the nation of Israel itself before the end time, I'm going to go before you and I'm going to make a way for you to come back. God even said that to His people through the 
prophet Isaiah, that very famous chapter where it says, those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Why is that so important? Because God was saying, come back, come back home, come back. And many of them were saying, you know, we're too old or we're too feeble or we're too frail or all this. And God says, I will give you the strength. You trust me by faith. You start out on that journey towards Jerusalem and towards Israel, and I'll make sure that you have the strength to get back home. I'll go before you. I'll make the way. And God did all this. And I love this because we sang so much about this tonight. What was the motivation for God doing all this as the shepherd? I skipped over it purposely, but I want to take you back to verse 6. And I want to just start reading and then get to the phrase. I, says the Lord, will strengthen the kingdom of Judah, deliver the people of Joseph, bring them back here because of my compassion for them. But the word compassion also means love. God says, I'm doing all this. I'm going to attend to your needs. I'm going to transform you from sheep to stallions. I'm going to give you a better leader, the best leader, the cornerstone, the wall peg, the battle bow. You'll be able to fight and win victory. I will strengthen you. I will deliver you. I will bring you back. I will hear you. I will call for you. I will gather you. I've redeemed you. I will cross over and go before you and make a way. I'll do all this for you because I'm your shepherd. I hope tonight that you are so encouraged when you leave here that you keep allowing all these thoughts of the Lord our Shepherd to just resonate with you, not only tonight, but in the days ahead of how much God loves you and how much He wants to do for us as our Shepherd. And here's the goal that God has. Verse 12. Thus I will strengthen them by My power and they will walk about in my name, says the Lord. What's that phrase, walk about in my name, mean? It means that they will exercise or experience the dominion of God in His authority. Oh, let me say it this way. God is picturing His people eventually ruling and reigning, so they will be exercising authority in His name. They will be exercising dominion in His name. That's what it means to walk about it. In other words, God is saying, just like He said to His people back in Joshua, everywhere your feet trod, that's yours. If you have the faith to go out there and trust what I have told you, that I've prepared this place for you, it's a land flowing with milk and honey, and you trust me enough as your shepherd to keep following me, then every place your foot trods, that'll be yours. God is basically saying the same thing to His people now. That go in my authority, and one day, everywhere you go, every place your foot stands, you can claim that, because it will be mine. Because one day again, what's God going to do? He's going to remove all the rebellious nations and peoples of the world against Him and He will set up His earthly kingdom where Jesus Christ will rule and reign and you and I will rule and reign with Him. Because He will have turned us sheep into a majestic war horse. Into stallions. But I wanted to end with this. I wanted to go back and I want to make this even more practical tonight. I want you to 
really focus tonight as we end on those first three words of the chapter. Ask the Lord. Ask the Lord. If everything that we've talked about tonight is true, that God is worthy to be trusted in by way of contrast and by way of His care, if if the reality of our shepherd really has sunk in, then God is saying to all of us, ask me. I'm your shepherd. I want to care for you. I want to bring blessing. I want to attend to your needs. Ask. Ask me for spiritual and physical things. Ask. Ask the Lord. See, God, when He becomes our shepherd, we will live in trusting, dependence, and prayerfulness looking to Him to provide for us at all times. The give us this day our daily bread will truly become a reality in our life. If God is our shepherd and we believe that He loves us as much as His Word says here tonight, then we will just live a lifestyle of asking the Lord. God really impressed this upon my heart several months ago and reminded me of verses like, you know, Jeff, you have not because you ask not. And Jesus even said, ask, seek, knock. And then he brought me to this as I was preparing for this study, where again, God said, ask me. So here's what I want to leave you with tonight. What will you ask the Lord for tonight? Maybe it's something you need to think about and even pray about before you ask, but will you begin to consider what God wants you to ask Him for? And then ask. Live in trusting, dependence, and prayerfulness, looking to Him to provide. I started asking the Lord for specific things. I hope you will too. Because He is the Lord, our shepherd. And He has great love and compassion for us. Let's pray. God, thank You for not only being our Savior who died on the cross, who gave Your very life's blood so that we could have a relationship with You. And we thank You, God, that You're our Creator. You formed us. You made us. You designed us. And God, I thank You that You're the Lord who rules over all. You're the King of kings and, and You rule and reign in this universe. But God, I also love, I love the imagery in Your Word of You being our shepherd. That loving shepherd who lovingly wants to lead us and take care of us and attend to us if we will simply have the faith to look to You, to trust You enough to depend upon You. And so God, I pray tonight that we have been strengthened here tonight being reminded of the Lord our Shepherd and what great care You have for us. And I hope it has brought each of us to a point where we will ask the Lord, our Shepherd, for something specific God, I, 
I cannot express in words how amazing it is, how astounding it is that human beings can approach the Lord who rules over all and we can ask you for something. That's amazing, God, that you allow us that privilege. May we be a prayerful people who in the right way take advantage of the privilege we have to come before the the throne of God and ask our shepherd for something specific. God, we thank you for this gathering tonight. Take us all home safely and bring us back next Wednesday, Lord, once again to worship you and to be in your word together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week.